Well, we are in Exodus 21 this morning, and Exodus 21, actually at Exodus 20, verse 22, we talked about this last week, begins a section of Exodus called the Book of the Covenant. It is where God takes uh, the Ten Commandments, which are uh, universal principles stated quite different than most of the rest of this. They're stated as absolute thou shalt not. Um, And now he gives and fleshes out how to apply it. Um, What we're going to find is a lot of these laws are extremely odd to us. Some of them, not just odd, but maybe even they feel, feel strange or maybe even wrong. Because we live in such a radically different society. This is a society that, that um, is so different from ours, it, it's hard to even draw comparisons between them. But these are, this is like their set of rules for governing their society. And our society is quite different. Let me give you some of the differences. There was no police force. Imagine trying to govern the United States without police force. How would we do that? What would society look like? There were no courts. You're going to see them talk about judges. But the judges weren't judges like we think, somebody who's been appointed or been elected to an office and sits in a courtroom. These were the wise men of the village, the elders who would come and judge cases. All right, so it wasn't a paid position. There was really no functioning government whatsoever. Um, Moses at one point was the whole shooting match, right? But then he appointed some, some men to be able to judge. But again, they weren't paid positions, I don't think, or maybe they were, but it was a, totally different from what we have. So the question is, how do you, how do you govern that type of society? What do you, what do? You do? Um, one of the things that they did was that the family became um, the most, it should be in any society, but a very, very important institution. What we would nowadays, and a lot of you've been in college, you understand the patriarchy is like the most evil thing ever, but they were a patriarchal society. Um, respect and flowed from the family. The father was the head of the family. The children were underneath him. and you also had um, expectations on the family. Uh, Because there was no police force, there was the law of retribution. Families were expected to uh, bring justice when an injustice had taken place, but within certain guidelines. You see, we would call that vigilantism, right? And we would say, this is horrible, but it, it it wasn't horrible. Um, It was the way the society functioned. If you're not going to have a police force, somebody's in charge of making sure that happens. And so what we find is that God puts um, uh, principles in for how you are to even retaliate and when you can and how you're supposed to do that. Um, There were no prisons. Let's think about that for a minute. No prisons. Nobody went to jail in Israel. So what do you do with somebody who has stolen? Okay, um, and, and that's what the law does. So what's gonna happen is as we go through the Book of the Covenant, we have to keep those, those thoughts in our mind. 
and, and try and place yourself back in and look at the underlying principles. Um, we don't need to study each one of the laws in great detail because <laughs> they don't apply to us. They applied at a different time in a different place, but the underlying principle is still there. They're fleshing out the Ten Commandments in that particular society. Um, just a little history for you. If you had been a person living in 1900, the year 1900, 1901, if you were going to um, most uh, seminaries, especially liberal seminaries, they would have told you that the Mosaic Law could not have been written by Moses because it was too sophisticated. And at that point in history, nobody could have come up with that type of, of section of law. That's what you would have been taught. Uh, that was called the Wellhausian school of, um, of thought when it came to the Mosaic Law. And it was dominant. In 1901, they discovered something. They discovered tablets in an excavation and the tablets were called the Code of Hammurabi. They were written 300 years before the Mosaic Law, 300 years before Moses, and they were equally as complex as Mosaic, the Mosaic Law, okay? So that kind of wiped that out, right? But you see, people who don't want to believe that God has actually spoken in his word took that and said, oh, well then Moses just copied the, the Code of Hammurabi. <laughs> So Moses didn't write it either. He just stole it from Hammurabi. Um, we're not going to go into any of that. There is significant differences between the Code of Hammurabi and between the Mosaic Law from what I understand. I think I actually did read large parts of the Code of Hammurabi when I was in college uh, because we were studying through and we, we read parts of it. There are similarities because you're governing a society, but there are things that are left off as well. And uh, today, what we're going to be reading are, is, um, in my Bible, talks about the laws about slaves. Now, it's not just about slaves. It's laws about slaves, laws about parents, laws about um, life, respect for life. And what I'm after is not that we understand each one of these laws, because we're not going to apply them to our life, but that we understand the underlying principles behind them as we go through. So let's, let's read that, but let me, before we do this, and I'm gonna, we, we'll just have to see how much time we have. I was told I have to let us out exactly on time, which I normally do, but the one week where I have too much information is when I have to, uh, I, I have to end right on time. Um, we're gonna be talking about slaves here in a minute. Slavery, in our mind, because of our state in America and because of our history, is probably the most vile, evil thing we can think of. <laughs> to take away somebody's freedom and enslave them is a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and especially the slavery of the United States because it was racially based. You were a slave based on your nationality or your ethnicity. And so there's, there's just a lot of evil there. But in Israel, slavery was a part of their society, but um, a, there's actually different classes of slaves, but if you were a Hebrew, God had rules concerning slavery for you, and you could be a slave in Israel. You say, well, how can God be good with that? I know somebody who told me, I don't believe the Old Testament at all because there's slavery in the Old Testament. How can that be? Well, um, 
what's interesting is, if, and I know this is going to sound really shocking, if you stop and think about the slavery as it's going to be outlined for us, it was actually a very just system. Um, if you fell into debt, you would sell yourself or sometimes sell your family into slavery. And the money that you got from the sale went to the people you owed to, and then you worked for six years to help pay off that debt. What do we do in our society when somebody goes bankrupt? Well, they go to court, right? No, no, not in our society. There's no debtor's prison, I'm pretty sure of that. You, you go to society, you go to the courts, and they say, we liquidate everything, and, and we pay five cents on the dollar. So if I'm a creditor and you owe me $100,000 and you go bankrupt and we get five cents on the dollar, I get $5,000, right? Is that fair? Is it just? Well, it's the way we've set up our society. We don't have debtor's prisons, so there's no other way to do it. What I'm saying is no matter how you work this out, but in a sense, what this said was you fall into debt, you go work for the person for seven years. There's no prison. Now, imagine that I come into your house and I steal something, I, I, or somebody else does. I'm not gonna do it, I'm not a thief, but somebody comes into your house, they steal a whole bunch of stuff, they, they um, get caught, what do we do to them? Put them on trial, and we put them in prison. And when they're done with their time in prison, what do we say? They've paid their debt to society. You know who they haven't paid their debt to? The person they stole from, right? Uh, they took the stuff, they sold it, they pawned it, they took the money, they spent it all on whatever, then they get caught, and you get nothing. And we call that justice, right? And it, it works in our society, right? We just all kind of understand it. What I'm telling you is as you read this, these are not, this is not 21st century America. This is 1450 BC, um, Israel coming out without a government and these are the way that God is going to, to uh, order their society. And yet there are principles here that are important. So let's read from chapter, it's a fairly long passage, but I do want to read through it, 21.1 down through 20 to 32. Last week, if you weren't here, the very first laws are about how to approach God, how to come to him. How to, come, how to build an altar, how to come to God. And God says, you come to me on my terms. You don't come with the work of your own hands. You don't make some fancy altar. You make an earthen altar or a pile of rocks and you come and you alt offer on there. And where, where I cause my name to be remembered, their blessing will flow. And so we talked about that last week. First thing God does, by the way, the Code of Hammurabi doesn't deal with anything about worship. God's law begins with it. Second thing God's law does, and I'm just going to tell you before we read it, he protects the weakest in society, and he reestablishes the importance of life and of the respect that's due for the family, because those were the foundations of that society. So starting at verse 1 of 21, he says, Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he goes out single. 
If he comes in married, his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she bears him sons and the daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall be his slave forever. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these things, three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear, only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes a slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men, men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so that her child come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go because of his tooth. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh not eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned but has not kept him in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man, son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to the same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned." Okay, so fairly long passage, sorry about that, but that is the beginning of the Book of the Covenant. Notice where it starts, rules concerning slaves. And this is why I say that in this section, um, we, we actually have um, displayed God's concern for the least in society. But there's an even, I think, even more important principle that's established right away, and that is the equality of, of all people. Slaves are not treated differently than other people. 
slaves were protected class in Israel. Um, you say, well, there's a little bit differences there. Yes, but, but basically um, the slave is treated with the same dignity as everybody else. In fact, what's interesting is that the very first laws after laws of worship are protecting slaves. That is not uh, common in the law codes. In the Code of Hammurabi, there's four laws concerning slaves. They're the last four laws. And they basically tell you what to do with a runaway slave, with a slave who gets helped to be escaped, what to do with that person, with somebody who harms your slave, and there's one other. But basically you're protecting the slave owner. But these laws are all designed to protect the slave. Um, so there's the equality of all people. And I think we also see God's care or God's concern for the poor. Um, or the poorest and the weakest in society. Now, they aren't given special protection. They are simply protected because of this first principle, the equality of all people. Uh, secondly, we see God's, um, we see the respect for life and we see respect for the family or respect for parents. All right, so we do need to go into some of the details here. Let me stop and take comments at this point. I've been talking for a while. Any, any thoughts at this point as we approach this? Okay, if you do, just raise your hand and we can talk about it. I've got some history majors in here. They, they might have, Anna's a history major. What do you specialize in, Anna? Not this. Not this, okay. <laughs> all right, good. Um, all right. Um, we begin with the laws concerning slaves. The first thing we notice is that slaves are slaves for six years. This is Hebrew slaves. There are slaves captured in war who can be perpetual slaves in Israel. It wasn't real common because the culture didn't uh, afford that. I mean, it wasn't the type of culture where they needed large numbers of slaves, but it was possible to have slaves that were non-Hebrew slaves. We're not talking about those at this point, just Hebrew slaves. Max amount of time, six years. On the seventh year, you go free. There's no payment. In fact, later on, you're going to find that they were uh, to be provided for generously from the granary, from the winery, and be given clothes. In other words, they were sent out um, as um, citizens. Um, they were also taken in and really treated as part of the family. They celebrated the Sabbath. We're not going to look up those verses, but if you go through Leviticus, they celebrated the Sabbath. If they were a priest's slave, they got to eat of the food that the priest took that only the priest's family was supposed to eat up. So they were actually brought in and treated more like family, in a sense, than they were treated like slaves. They were seen as people who were in trouble, who needed, needed help or needed um, support. So you come in six years and then you go out. The only exception to that was the year of Jubilee and year of Jubilee was the 50th year. All slaves were released on the year of Jubilee, uh, regardless of how long they had served. Um, he goes out as he comes in and this leads to an interesting problem. What do you do if the master gives another slave to his slave and they marry and have children? And we might say, well, marriage is more important. He gets to go out. 
but the slave has to make his own decision, right? And the decision is, do I want to stay with my wife and my children and my master, or do I want to leave? And if he chooses to stay, he chooses to be the bondservant from that point on. Uh, of course, there's a beautiful picture of that in the New Testament, right? Paul oftentimes refers to himself as a bondservant. And Jesus Christ became a bondservant. He humbled himself and became a bondservant. The, the picture here is of somebody choosing to serve somebody else because of their love for that person. And, and as Christians, we should all be bondservants of Jesus Christ. Um, but that is the, kind of a weird thing to us that you'd have to make that choice, but he, he did. It was a choice that the man had to, had to make. Um, now, verse 7 talks about daughters. Uh, a person sells his daughter as a slave. We can't think of anything worse than that, right? I can't imagine selling one of my children into slavery. Uh, the problem is the father's responsible for providing. If he can't provide for his family, then he either has to sell himself or somebody has to go. And, and in this case, he's selling a daughter. But what it looks like from this passage is he's selling her to be a wife. Again, totally foreign to us. But the idea is that she needs to be provided for and protected. And by selling her to someone else, she goes in and she's their servant or their slave, but then she marries. And what happens the minute that she's married? Full protection, okay? Now, I know that young women in this room are thinking, horrible to be sold to a man to be married, but that culture was different than our culture and that prov provision and protection. But look at what it says. It says, if she comes in, and it says in verse 8, if she does not please her master who has designated her for himself. He bought her so that she would become his wife. If she doesn't please him, um, then she can be redeemed. So he decides, I don't want to marry her. She can be redeemed. She can be bought back, and she cannot be sold to foreign, a foreign power. She can't be sold to somebody outside of Israel. No one is allowed to be sold outside of Israel. Um, if he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as a daughter. She becomes a daughter-in-law. She's no longer a slave, she's a daughter-in-law. If she becomes a wife, she is afforded full rights as a wife. And by the way, the Bible does tell us, and I do think this is more of a universal principle, my own feeling, in verse uh, 10, says, if he takes another wife to himself, so this is a man who has her as a wife and then maybe he brings on another wife, um, he shall not diminish her food, clothing, or marital rights. Those were what were expected of a man to provide for his wife, food, clothing, marital rights. And if those were cut off, she was released and she went out without payment because he had not treated her properly. So in verse 11, and if he does not do those three things for her, he stops providing for her food, clothing, or marital rights, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money, okay? Um, if we continue to look at the slaves, and I know I'm jumping in the passage, um, there's a section there where it talks about um, 
a man, two men quarreling together, and one man gets hit. Um, it sounded like a pretty violent society, actually. It sounds like they're fighting all the time, but maybe that's just the laws that are set up. But it's two guys, they get into a fist fight and they start beating each other. And one of them ends up in what we would say the hospital. One ends up in bed and can't work. The other one's responsible for providing for him while he's sick um, and making sure that he gets healed. So we would call that liability, right? You have to pay for the person. You have to cover their losses, okay? The same is true of a slave. You say, well, how is it true of a slave? Well, it goes on and it says, um, the next, next passage on here, that was uh, 18 through 19. He says, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, what? He shall be avenged. You can't kill a slave. Why? Because a slave has protection under the law. A slave is, is your property, but his life does not belong to you. That's a really important principle, one you won't see many other places. That slave will be avenged. And then it says, uh, uh, but if he survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged. And the idea is, is the man wasn't trying to kill him. Um, he got mad and struck him, but he wasn't trying to kill him. And the loss is the loss of the, the money that would have been generated by the slave. Just like the other man, you say, well, that doesn't seem quite fair. But the, the other man, the same principle, if you struck him and he survived for a day or two, well, then you weren't trying to kill him. Because if you were trying to kill him, he would be dead. dead. You would have finished the job. So this is not murder in their sense. We, of course, would have all sorts of legal laws dealing with what happens if something like that happens. But the idea is that they're both protected the same. You kill a man, uh, you're, you're avenged, all right? Um, now, let's look at the, go ahead. The, the family. Inside the family. Well, it would have been, if, if, if you, if I, if I, had a member of my family who was your slave and you killed my slave you killed your slave which is my member of the family it's my responsibility to come and avenge the family was responsible for avenging there was no police force so the family was responsible for avenging now that leads to an and we're gonna we're gonna jump here again I have to watch my time Look at the next one. By the way, this is a really bizarre law. Verse 22, I guess they're all bizarre to us, but this one, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, it's like, okay, let me think about this. What is a pregnant woman doing there while men are striving together? I don't know. Maybe she sees her husband fighting and she runs up to pull him apart and the one guy swings and hits her. I don't know. But, but somehow um, they hit a pregnant woman. And then it says, so that her children come out, but there's no harm. So she delivers. So she's very pregnant and there's no harm. And the one who hit her shall, be, shall surely be fined as the, hus as the woman's husband will impose on him and he shall pay as the judge is determined. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, 
hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And we say, how horrible that you would do that. But notice what it's done. The law of retribution says that you can go and retribution goes as far as, as uh, the crime that was committed. If it's a life, you can take a life. But if it's an eye, you can only take an eye. If it's a hand, you can only take a hand. If it's a wound, you can only have that same wound. That seems barbaric to us, but you know what is much more barbaric? Is what people normally do, right? You strike me, and I strike you back twice as hard. You kill me, kill a member of my family, I kill your entire family, right? You, you uh, uh, harm me, I kill you. And so what God is doing is setting up parameters for that society. You can take retribution, but only as far as the crime that was committed. So we see that as a horrible thing. Most of you probably eye for eye, tooth for tooth is the very, um, the very uh, definition of not showing mercy, which we as Christians are supposed to do. And by the way, we are. Uh -oh. We're to live differently. But in that society, that was how crimes were, were avenged. So, everybody. Yeah, you, yeah, so, so and so um, did this, and I'm going to do it uh, seven times more. Yeah. And that, that's what happens with feuds, even in, I mean, we think of the, I know it's old story, but Hatfields and McCoys, right? You do something to me, I do it back. Now I do it back here, and every time it escalates until you have this feud that's going on. Whereas this is, this is what happened, this is what you're allowed to do. Rod. I hate to keep going back to prison, but there's a, there's a law inside the law of prison also. Uh, guys who are lifers in there have nothing to lose. They bring their own justice any way they want to inside the prison because they know that, that nothing's going to change for them whether they take somebody's life or, or not. Yeah. But, but there's no justice if somebody does something to you. I had a guy come up to me just on Thursday night. He says, Brother, pray for me. He says, I've, I've got a wicked desire in my heart. I had a guy steal my radio. And he says, I want to just go and avenge myself the way I would have done it before. And, and he says, beat him to death. And uh, he says, I just I just need help to be, to stay in the Lord. You know? yeah. And so there's, a, there's just a whole... Yeah. Well, and, and people still have it. You, you hurt me and I hurt you back worse. And that's the way we deal with it. Um, and God is saying that's not that proper. Now, we only have five minutes. So, by the way, there's an interesting thing on that um, woman, the pregnant woman. The question is, is it the pregnant woman that's harmed or is it her child that's harmed? In other words, a miscarriage takes place. Um, and the child is, is, does it mean that the child is not harmed, that the child is okay? Or does that mean that when the child dies, let's say it's an early miscarriage and the child doesn't make it, that the, the man then is responsible for, for that? Um, I know some abortion, uh, anti-abortion pro-life activists will, will make the claim that this is actually a verse that speaks of the dignity of the human fetus. Um, because the, the woman has been hit 
but what the real problem was is that she delivers. And so now the question is, did that harm that child? Because if it did, then that child needs to be avenged as well. So I throw that out there. We don't have time to deal with that. And there's a lot of people who would disagree with that, just so you know, but that's interesting from there. All right, now, a couple of other things. Um, laws about sanctity of life, respect for life. What's the penalty for uh, deliberate premeditated murder? Death, life for life. Um, when it says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, this is an exception to that. Somebody kills your relative, you have the right to kill that person, and that is not considered murder. Otherwise, we keep going back and forth. Um, the, the law here has to be internally consistent. Now, that doesn't mean that that applies to our society, but this is what God is saying. Life is so precious that so that's gonna happen. If it's an accidental murder, or what we would say a non-premeditated, it talks about somebody falling into somebody's hands, or in the case of somebody in that fight, where it's not intentional, um, but it's an accident. but uh, accident, then that person, see the, the family doesn't know that, that person can flee to the altar and then later sanctuary cities and be protected. Um, but if he has intentionally committed murder, as it says in um, verse 14, but if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. There is no exception for premeditated murder. Uh, you cannot decide to kill a man and kill him when it's outside of that law of retribution. Um, in verse 16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found possess him shall be put to death. Um, this is taking a person, selling him probably outside of Israel, which means you have pulled him out of the covenant and placed him in a foreign nation. You've stolen from him that which is most precious, and that person is put to death as well. Once again, respect for life. Um, at the end of the passage, we have the, the story of the ox goring. We're not gonna read through that. That's negligent homicide. But what he says is, if you know that your ox gores people and, and it kills somebody, you're responsible. And it says either you'll pay with your life or the other family can impose a ransom or a redemption where you have to pay money. By the way, that would mirror our society, right? If you, if you have something that's happening, you know it could cause a harm to somebody and you do it and it causes harm, then you're responsible for that. The last one uh, that we wanna look at and then we have to end is the uh, children. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Um, and by the way, that is the idea of actually giving them a beating. Uh, from what I understand, it isn't just, you know, a, a yeah, hit them like that, but it, it's more of where it's a full on assault uh, that person is to be put to death, that child, and whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Remember, this entire society is built upon um, the respect for life and respect for your family. And so to attack your family is to undermine the entire society. I, I would say there's principles there as well for us. We see a lot of disrespect on in children and society begins to crumble when their family is not respected, when parents are not respected. So, but uh, th this is what I want you to see. 
God cares. He cares for all people. And all people are equal in Israel under the covenant. Anybody under the covenant is equal and to be treated with respect. God does care for the poorest and the weakest. That's why he starts the law talking about slaves. Uh, he, he, he establishes those principles right away. And then these two are fleshing out all of those laws, the laws for thou shalt not kill and honor your father and your mother. So, um, all right. Any comments or questions before we finish? It seems interesting, a lot of people that, that I know that are for abortion are against capital punishment. And it sort of, it just seems odd to me. You know, in, in a sense, they're saying, well, the reason he got away is because of society, taking away personal responsibility. Yeah. Well, and then they'll turn it around as well and say, well, if you're uh, for life, then you have to be against capital punishment. And those two don't necessarily follow either, not from a biblical standpoint, that life is to be respected, somebody who's committed murder um, uh, to, to put them to death doesn't seem to be the same thing as to put an innocent uh, uh, baby to death. Um, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. I didn't see anything other than just the idea that this a person, again, my guess is it's somebody who has a habit of that. Uh, we all know people, some of them are ourselves, who say things without thinking and, and um, you know, maybe you said something to your parents. I doubt if, I, I, the idea, especially from that first one, that it's a beating, you're not just, it isn't just striking, you, you've attacked your parents. This is a person who is, I think in the, ha I'm guessing, speculating, could be wrong, but it's probably more of a lifestyle. Someone who is, is one who is constantly disobedient and disrespectful to their parents. I just wonder because if it was striking, you know, that would be probably a, a distinct incident, right? It would be place, if it was cursing, how would you, how would you make that decision as far as when? Yeah, maybe somebody who's talking about his parents or, 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 or actually cursing them in front of other people. And it's hard for me to imagine a parent or a family member in our society saying, I'm going to put my child to death. But in that, that culture, it may have been that that brought such shame on the family that, that they actually did uh, extract that law. Um, let me just say before we finish, I, I, know, I know I mentioned in the beginning these are different laws. It, it is dangerous to say we're going to take any law from the Old Testament, um, from this book of the covenant, and impose it on our society. So that's why even when it says here, put somebody to death, uh, there's a range of opinions among Christians as to the death penalty. And to go back here and say, well, see, God says to put somebody to death. Well, yeah, because they didn't have prisons where they could lock somebody away for life. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, the fact that that was what happened then doesn't mean it has to happen now. And we would be really shocked if somebody who cursed his parents was put to death. And, and maybe in our society that doesn't need to happen. I'm not saying that any of these laws, a lot of times we go to the Old Testament, we pull out one law out of the covenant, pull it out and say, ah, that one needs to be applied. Well, we need to apply the whole thing. We can't pick and choose. 
And what, what we're after is the principles. Fortunately for us, Christ is the fulfillment of the law and we live under the law of liberty. So we have a different... Um, And, and I think it would be, yeah, not just unwise, I think from a Christian standpoint, it would be wrong to go back to eye for eye, tooth for tooth, since we are under a different, a different covenant than yeah. this one. And we were not made for the, we're not working at, I would say, the exact same purpose as what the yeah. Israelites were serving back then when the law was proven. Yeah. Any other comments before we finish? We have to go because I was told to end on time. You got one minute, Rod. <laughs> um, you look at you look at the the idea of the bull that's goring somebody. So if you, you know he's going to gore somebody, you need to put him to death. Well, maybe that same principle is what is seen in mankind. If somebody kills somebody, uh, and then they're going to be uh, able to do it another time and another time. So it's like it's the same, the same yeah. principle behavior in mankind is going to be the same as you find in the world, quite possibly. Yeah, although I, th I think that one could be more easily applied. I mean, if you were in a car and you knew your brakes were failing and you kept driving that car and the brakes fail when you s kill somebody, that, that would be the same thing as the ox that's scoring, right? You knew that there was a problem and, that, and you end up killing somebody and you didn't take care of it, uh, which is why, you know, we, we make sure our sidewalks are level so somebody doesn't trip. And if you have a tree that might fall down, that's why when I cut that branch off and almost uh, that would have been negligent, you know, if I had harmed somebody, that would have been something I was responsible for. Um, As I'm reading this, I'm trying to figure out how effectively they were able to administer justice because if I were a killer, I'm not sure. I would stick around waiting to be put to death, you know, and yeah. running off. But it was a different society. Everybody knew everybody, right? You're in a smaller communities, smaller villages. Somebody does something, you would know who that person was. They're going to flee to the altar to keep from being avenged. So, okay, we need to close in prayer. For